When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. And this episode is a really cool one. First of all, I've got my new mate, Spencer Cullum, co-hosting with me. But just as exciting is my guest, BJ Cole. BJ has played pedal steel on some of the most loved albums of all time. He's played with Elton John, Sting, T-Rex, Bjork, Jerry Rafferty, Robert Plant, Richard Ashcroft, and The Verve. And he and Spencer talk about how the role of pedal steel is changing, even in Nashville. And they tell me the scariest moment on stage, and it's basically the same for both of them. And I'm pretty sure it's probably the same for most pedal steel players. At one point, we're even joined by Spencer's dogs. So follow Spencer and BJ on social media. Check out BJ's new album, Daydream Smile, and Spencer's new solo album, Spencer Cullen's Coin Collection. Follow us all on social media. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's a huge help. And don't forget ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety to buy us a cup of coffee if you like the episodes. Now let's slide right into this chat with Spencer Cullum and BJ Cole on performance anxiety. I'm very proud to have been, been on your show, Performance, uh, performance Anxiety. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> I'm BJ Carl. I do have a new album, which is on a label called Cow Pie Twang, uh, believe it or not. Uh, and it's a Hawaiian album, of all things, after talking about all my progressive uh, exploits. <laughs> Uh, it's called Daydream Smile and it's on Cow Pie Twain and it's coming out in November and it's been great to talk to both of you and yeah, Spencer it's good to see you always again thank you for seeing you Mark nice buddy to me I, I, I miss really lovely to talk to you and I, I can't wait to get me. to Nashville again just as soon as possible yes there you go we'll, uh, we'll, when this is all over we'll hang out in Nashville or vice versa I'll come out to London <laughs> nice to see you. Nice to see you too. How are you can't doing, get rid of me. <laughs> you just can't get rid of me. I really get Very nice to see both of you. Oh, and, um, you great. Too. Okay. Anyway, you've already had a had a session together. Yes. That- Very Indeed. nice one. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, hello. I'm trying to. Fiddle around with a light here just so you can see me better. No worries. There we go. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. So, the technology, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
want some lurid stories. You know, oh, it? I'm dying for some. It's <laughs> 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 trying to install an update or something. Uh, I, I, I worry about that. Oh, um, yeah. My phone did that last night. I was kind of worried about it because it tried once the day before and it failed. And it's like, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll just try it again. And I'm like, I know it's going to try doing it when I'm doing something really important like this. But yeah. fortunately, it decided to do it in the middle of the night and it was successful. So, right. but it, it decided to add an app to my phone without my knowledge and it shifted all my. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh the Spencer shifted too <laughs> Sorry But it, oh, yeah. it shifted yeah. all my apps over By one so I had to go find everything So I'm like where the hell is my Skype app I don't even know where the hell this crap is now And it shifted over a page so. But I would thank you Guys, both of you guys, Spencer and BJ For coming on, this is, a, this is really cool When uh, Spencer said he knew you I was like, I gotta get you guys on Because I've been a I've been a fan for a long time. Not nearly as long as you've been recording because as is the case with a lot of the session people that I've had, don't really realize who's on what albums. But I learned of you, BJ Cole, from the Richard Ashcroft solo album. Along oh, yeah. with everybody. Great record. And that was your, your your pedal steel is so prominent on that album. I and I have a tendency to go read liner notes, and all, that's why I still love physical LPs and CDs. And I had to find out who was doing this incredible work, and it it was you. So I've been going backwards ever since and trying to find the stuff that you've been on. So I, I'm really a thrill to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. Thank you. And then. Spencer is a returning guest. So you kind of like a returning guest slash co-host today. I don't know well, what, what you're going to be. Pressure's on now. Yeah. Pressure's on now. So yeah. Pressure's <laughs> on. Okay. Ask me questions. Go okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Chop, chop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've already gone through this with Spencer. So I want to find out a little All bit right. more from you, BJ, how you got into music in the first place. Was your family a Musically oriented, or was it you a black? Were you a black sheep? Uh, I was a bit of a black sheep, yeah, yeah. But my father was a very enthusiastic sort of amateur musician and fan of music, and he had a great collection of seventy eights of people like the Ink Spots and Phil Harris and um, Bing Crosby and good stuff, you know. So he he obviously had a a, a good taste in music, and when I when I showed. Uh, signs of learning the guitar and then the pedal steel he was totally supportive and used to drive me around to concert gigs and wow. all that sort of thing you know so he was he was brilliant yeah that's wonderful because I mean yeah. I, I, I tend to hear the, the two extremes they were either really supportive or yeah they didn't want me to have anything to do with it uh, so it's yeah. it's really no, I, was, I was very lucky so what instrument, did, what instrument did you start off with? Because I don't think you, you jumped right into pedal steel, did you? No, no, I played guitar. I was okay. one, one of the Hank Marvin boys. You know, I was, I love the shadows. Oh, yeah. Cliff and the shadows when they came along. But, you know, that was it. You know, they had, there was a, it was a phenomenon in the UK. I don't know about, in the, not in the States so much, I don't think, with the shadows. But, right. um, you know, it was a social phenomenon that every, most schools had a shadows group oh really yeah oh wow yeah most schools had a shadows group and uh, i got into guitar i'm left-handed so i naturally picked the guitar up left-handed i didn't know you was left-handed bj i am 
I am too, yeah. I you am. are too? Yeah, yeah. How extraordinary. <laughs> and, as is Lloyd Green. Lloyd Green is as well, yeah. Tony Chalker, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Was it, was it okay? I always played right-handed because it just was cheaper, you know, just like to buy a, to buy a right-handed guitar. No, <laughs> yeah. Like, How interesting, know. isn't it? That's great. Well, I gave up the guitar because I learned steel guitar. I intentionally went and learned pedal steel the correct way round because it's cheaper and possible. Yeah. To and yeah, that's all you could in 1964 or whenever it was. So I learned pedal steel or lap steel or whichever you wanted this first, uh, and pretty much gave up guitar because it's I was you know, playing it the other way around. Ah, okay. so that's the reason I I don't play guitar. Ah, okay, and I'd imagine with, with that being so popular, there's probably a lot of guys playing guitar, and, and you know, pedal steel is a unique sound, or even lap steel, it's a unique sound. Yeah. Uh, did you start playing live, you know, with with, a, with bands as a guitarist or as a as a pedal steel lap steel guitar player? Well, I I didn't really play live much at all. Actually, oh. I, I I played with a, a local group around North London, um, playing guitar, you know, in people's living rooms, you know, just to, to learn the songs and to write stuff. And um, I, I never really had an ambition to be a professional musician back then. I didn't even know it was possible. Oh, really? Probably just as well, because I would have concluded it would have been impossible to be a career, you know, in the UK in the early 60s. You know, it's oh, not something you expect to be something that can sustain you for a whole lifetime. Now I look back and think, God, how did I do that? <laughs> so what, what did you... <laughs> Only because I, I just jumped into it and it was the thing that grabbed me and said, you've got to do this. You know, like, it wasn't it wasn't a rational, financial, you know, line of... Works. I thought I was going to do. In fact, I was going to be a photographer to start. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I was going to be a photographer to start. I but, did. Uh, I did that for about a dozen years. Oh yeah, great. So, all right, so I got a connection. That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could like David Bailey. You know? There you go. <laughs> well, he's one of my heroes. It was an you know, oh, amazing. So, when did the but, session work start? Oh, that was much later. Oh, okay, so I'd, I'd, I'd played in country bands around London in the 60s and then got connected with a lot of people in the sharp end of the music business. That is the sort of rock and roll end of the the music business. And I, uh, after trying to get out of the country scene, as I I was much more eager to take the pedal steel into, you know, rock and roll and psychedelia and the underground. What sort of of country music was being played in... England at that time, though, by English people? Uh, it was a different circuit. It, um, yeah. In London, it was the West London Fuller's Pub circuit. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. And there were a lot of Irish bands on the um, Fuller's Pub circuit. That makes sense. Uh, and the Nashville room. Do you know the Nashville? It's on Cromwell Road in London. Oh, okay. West right. London. Uh, and they had all sorts of, they brought in American artists, but essentially they had an agent that um, created a circuit around all the Fuller's pubs in West London. And I, it was the place to go to play with bands, basically. And obviously by that point, I'd become aware of country music. In fact, country music I wasn't aware of when I first learned steel guitar. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. No. Was it more Hawaiian not- it, more Hawaiian to start with, and Santo and Johnny. Oh, yeah. Like that. I'm a massive. It was it was really Santo and Johnny that converted me from the guitar to the, the steel guitar.
I still love them. You know, I still oh. love that sound. And it's so unique. It's so unlike any album player playing yeah. steel guitar. Don't you think so? It's oh, yes. Hawaiian. It's not really Hawaiian. It's sort of cod Hawaiian. <laughs> yeah. It's more like, they're more like um, doo-wop records. Yeah, especially like songs like Summertime where you hear like, yes. brindin', 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 like that. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably one of the best ones. Yeah. Yes. That, there's a, only the one, the one, the famous record which I have, which uh, which was the main record, which has got the, all the hits on it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got all the albums and, but I like that kind of that and Jerry Bird was kind of like that that straight sort of steel sort of uh, six yeah. tune was like yeah was wonderful uh, yes yeah. well it's right and it's quite difficult to play it's That's really difficult to play <laughs> <laughs> I mean I went to a teacher who taught in the BMG magazine you know the oh, right, yeah. 60s BMG magazine he advertised in there a guy called Edward Kirkman he right. lived in Candy Island in fact. oh right Okay. Um, and um, he taught me all that stuff, and he nearly scared me off because it was really difficult. He had one of these diatonic tunings that you couldn't, you had to, you know, be careful what strings you picked and which ones you missed. And yeah. they were compound tunings, and you couldn't strum it, and it was oh, really wow. difficult to articulate, for, you know, chords. Oh, yeah. wow. It's a very difficult style. You know, I was learning music as well. I was learning stuff from notes. Oh, okay. So no, nobody told me I couldn't do that or shouldn't do that. Yeah. So that was something I, I had wanted to ask Spencer. I didn't even think about the tunings on, on a pedal steel. I mean, first of all, how many strings? Are, I know there's different styles, different types of, of, uh, of pedal steels, but how is it set up and, and what kind of tunings do you have to use for that? How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> How long's a piece of string? Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a whole podcast on just laps on, on pedal steel yeah. tunings. Well, essentially, most most people use an E ninth tuning or a C six tuning in Nashville and in country music, mostly. Okay. But there is another more complex, which is, they're usually ten string tunings. They have okay. ten string on an instrument, and uh, most players use a double neck. E ninth on one bank and C six on another bank, so you've got ten strings and ten strings. Uh, and there is wow. more recently a universal tuning which has twelve strings, but just one neck, and that's what I use. You know, uh, okay, I'm dedicated to that. And even my tuning is not standard. I've changed it around. I hear that from a lot of the best players in, in different instruments. Yeah. Like Fripp's got his own, you know, new standard yeah. tuning, and so yeah. <laughs> so you like the I Robert think, Fripp yeah. of pedal steel? Yeah, I, I always back in when I first started, I was my hobby was inventing tunings. Uh, oh really? I spent, yeah. I spent most of my time when I wasn't playing inventing tunings. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I never settled on the standard that most people use. Is it still keep? Is it still? Is your tunings? Uh, are you still keep? Re- no, no, I got it right when I invented <laughs> when I invented <laughs> Too, or I decided to stick with that because by that point I'd spent fifteen years refining it. You know, I always because I always stuck with E nine. Yeah, it was always so I don't know. I found it so easy to move around on E nine, and you know, it's kind of like yeah. And only recently, I'll show you it now. Only recently, I kind of now I've gone to D ten. Oh yeah! Oh right! 
And okay, <laughs> it was always like Judas. Well, P nine was like it was. I always I sound so lazy here. Was like I, I, I didn't have a left-handed steel because it's cheaper. Now E nine was lighter to sort of like carry yeah. around. You know, yes. it was like this it's double. But it doesn't go deep enough for me. I know, and that's that's the problem. That's why I've started getting into C6. Yeah. And because, but that's, I've only been a month into it. Everyone called it over here. It's like, I've been doing E9 for years now since, I, since I've been playing steel. And I've never had a situation where I've had to pay a play C6 tune. And I guess the difference, Mark, is like E9, C6 is more jazz and Western swing. That's what I think. Okay. But like, well, and that's the problem with a double neck, you see. Yes, it's, it is, yes. It's either one or the other, and therefore it rules out everything else. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't blend the, the two. No, right. they're not related to one another. Oh, no. wow, okay. Whereas in the universal tuning, they relativize the C6 to B6, so it's diatonic against the ninth. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they call, I can remember having, I'll try and, bastardize my way through like any sort of c6 style you know riffs or licks or anything with you can you can can do it but you you know it's it's usually like i I try and like approach it as how like tommy tedesco would approach it you know like he's like a great guitarist but he'll like have like five riffs in a certain style of music and use them well with c6 on the e9 among most people like that yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there are many musicians that, that transcend the, the pocket thing, you that's know. That's true, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. It's like, but I have a, about a year ago, someone was like, can you do it? It was like a very like a heavy sort of Western, sort of like six style song that I had to play on. And I was, I was like, I've got to kind of learn this. What do they call it over here? They call it the no money neck. Well, that that came out of the the Curly Chalker thing, wasn't it? Curly Chalker, because he he pushed the six tuning really hard in a in a quite bloody minded sort of way, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and and he suffered for it in that. He had he had a reputation for it as well. Yes, that's right. He did that. (laughs) Yeah, what a major player. Oh my word! Unbelievable! Yeah. So, how did the two of you guys meet? I I went and saw you play at the Spitz, DJ, ages ago, and I. Uh, oh, did you? Right. Kind of bad. You was doing something. It might have been with Luke Vibert or something like that. remember approaching you afterwards and saying like hey i'm learning i'm i'm, I'm, I'm trying to get through this thing and it's it's a hurdle yeah <laughs> well that was a, a very unusual thing to be going to see if you wanted to find well, it, it kind of, oh. i really enjoyed it because it kind of yeah. made me like because i never grew up on country music i grew up on pedal steel oh, rock on rock and roll music yeah yeah but yeah. like and then i saw you play this like uh electronic 
stuff with pedal steel and I was like whoa it can be used for that that's great I don't have to learn this country music <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I think you do I think you have to some people kind of try and escape not learning the traditions of country music and pedal steel I think you know and I think it's I think you know well, that's that's all there was when I started you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, in in the practical sense, you know, yeah. obviously I'm aware of Santo and Johnny who weren't country. I was aware of Alvino Ray and all the early players, the great, you know, early players who, to me, are more modern in their thinking than a lot of the pedal steel players around now. I think so too. Yes, yeah. well, well, Murphy and people like that. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a. It, it was like technique and understanding the mechanisms of it. You know, it's like yeah. it was like the forefront of it. I think so. So you ended up studying with BJ then? He taught me, yeah. He, t- he, he kind of uh, helped me. <laughs> is that is that something that happens a lot? I mean, BJ, do you take on a lot of students after they approach you after a gig? I'm not a very good teacher, actually. <laughs> I, I can help people a lot. You know, actually, I'm not a very methodical one. I'm, I'd like to, be, to think I'm, I, I can teach well and I'm methodical and I help people, but... I sort of overwhelm people, I think. I, I, I sort of give them everything in one go. <laughs> well, I do remember one thing, like the lesson, the first lesson, or the first lesson, because I was, the left hand, I'm still here now, where like, your left hand, yeah. my left hand was so, you know, left and right, and I think the first thing you taught me was like, play, hold your bar more, and go around and hold your bar, and can you yes. my, you know, the, the main thing was vibrato, yeah, you know, it wasn't about and like you showed me the Jimmy Day record and I was like, listen to this, this is the this is the record. Yes. You know, and that kind of it's, like it's still the record. It's still the record. No knee levers as well. No, which is that's bizarre. right. I know. Yeah. You know, so, okay, so yeah. explain that for, for those of us who you know don't play and don't know a whole lot about pedal steel. How do the what do the, the knee levers do? How do they work? How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> Podcast number two. <laughs> well, they do similar things to the pedals, really. Yeah. They do similar things to the pedals, but you combine them with what you're doing with your feet on the pedals, and you create thousands of combinations of changes to your open tuning, okay. as opposed to tens or even maybe a hundred by just having your foot play, pressing on pedal one, pedal one and two, pedal two, pedal two and three. You're limited with just pedals. Right. If you've got levers, levers, whichever phrase you use, levers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, you're you're multiplying exponentially the possibilities because the pedals and the levers do similar things, not the same things, but complementary things. So you're changing your tuning as you're playing in thousands of subtle ways. Uh, okay, okay. I don't think there is an instrument like that. No, there is. You know where you I know, I can't think of anything like that. And as I said once before, because that's the nature of the instrument, a pedal steel, that is, um, you can slide up and down strings and you can change the internal voicing of the chord at the same time in pitch bend. You can't do that with any one instrument, one player instrument. Right, yeah, you no. You do it with a choir, you can do it with a string quartet, but you can't do it, What? no one player can play any other instrument and do that. Right. Not naturally. You can force a guitar to do that, but it's not natural to it. Yeah. It feels like, especially with you doing classical music on it, you know, you can almost, it's so orchestral. 
Yes, it is. It's just you get such a dense sound from a single instrument. I think, and I've been listening to some of the classical interpretations you've been doing. And Mm. Spencer just dropped out. Hopefully, he'll come back. But uh, (laughs) but it, (laughs) it it really. Yeah, there, there it is. is. There we go. So I uh, cutting out. Oh no worries. So we're okay. we're just saying that um, I think a pedal steel is wonderfully suited to, for what BJ is doing with his uh, uh, interpretations on classical music because it's so dense. You don't need so many people doing so many different things because you can yes. emulate a lot of different instruments all at the same time. Yeah, sort of. Yes, sort of. You can bring something new to the various sorts of classical music as well. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I work with this cellist who's a tremendous player, and cello and pedal steel together oh. uh, are virtually an or- a small orchestra in the, between the two of them. I think, like, especially with steel and strings, that Jimmy Day record we were talking about, yeah. the pedal steel and strings is yeah. unbelievable. I love Recording music with strings, pedal steel, pedal steel with strings. Yes, you work. A lot of your stuff on steel is yeah. Yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Love those records. So, was Spencer a good student? I think so. <laughs> 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 He's now, but more naive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we, we got a little bit of history here, but how did the session work start? What was your first? Procession. Well, I could say it was Elton John's Tiny Dancer, really. For all intents and purposes, it's the record that gave me a career in session. Oh, how I feel so real. Madman Across the Water. I did lots of sessions before that. I did a session for Albert Lee before that. Oh, really? On his very first solo album that oh. never got released at the time. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, it's out now. Oh, okay. Yeah, Black Claw and Country Fever. Oh, okay. Yeah, that came out in the early 90s, right? Yes, but it was recorded in 68. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. He sang on it, which I think he was very down on himself for singing on it because he'd not sung before. Oh, okay. Right. okay. It was a label called Bell Records. So that album exploded. That song in particular just exploded. Did you get, were you starting to get requests for session work immediately after that, or was it? Pretty much. I didn't, you know, I, I as one does and you, when you're sort of a, a bit inexperienced, you do a session like that. You know, I, I happen to know him and the people at Dick James Music he was connected with very well. So they just rang, and, rang me and said, come in. And it was all mates, basically, at Trident Studios. We spent the, the entire night working on that track. Wow. Which was fantastic. Coming out at six in the morning and we cut the tiny dancer, you know, without strings. And he probably redid the lead vocal and the, the strings and the backing vocals. The rest of it was, you know, all went down in one go. That's, that's great. amazing. I, I always like how that song, the chords are really suited for still as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe because it's a piano player. 
It's like a good. I always struggle whenever like I love playing songs when the chords are like really move well with steel guitar. Well, there's more transitions on that on that song than in any other pop song. It goes through different changes, different sections, doesn't it? It's almost like we're there all night, and I think we thought a bit too hard, you know, and (laughs) said, "Where where we go now?" You know, we'll take a left turn here and go off in that direction. Uh, Yeah, it was a bit like that, actually. (laughs) Sort of chipping in. (laughs) Brilliant, yeah, but great. That song was actually written with the pedal steel in mind, though, right? I was there while it was being put together. Yes, okay, pretty much, and it's the only pop song where this pedal steel is all, virtually audible all the way through. Do you find it, when you're doing session work that, especially after that, I guess maybe uh, are the songs crafted for pedal steel or are they just trying to, do you have to help the, uh, the songwriters fit the pedal steel in? Every, every shade of one end of, to the opposite end of <laughs> set of possibilities. Yeah. You know, every, you can't, you know, I've, I've got, so I've been done infinite numbers of sessions where people want to use me to make it more country. I've done infinite number of sessions to, where people have wanted to make it more left field and not country because people know of know me for doing that. Right. You know, taking seal away from what is conventional. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the cool things is, is some of the people you've worked with, I mean, some of them, I can, you know, you hear who they are and, and you think I can, I can hear a pedal steel with them. You know, obviously Elton John, you've got the, the incredibly popular tracks of Jerry Rafferty. Urban hymns, but then you, you, you even Roy Harper, but you've yes. got uh, some other artists that you've worked with where I, I'm like, pedal steels in here, like uh, Bjork and Alan Parsons, and 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 I'm you know I when I think of Alan Parsons and prog rock, I don't really think of pedal steel, and so now I'm paying well, more attention to it. That stuff. I did a lot of heavy rock stuff in the early seventies. I was play, I played with uh, Humble Pie three albums. Yes, I saw that. Steve Marriott, you know, he was, well, what a guy. You know, I was one of my great heroes. You know, to find yourself in Olympic Studio One in 1970 with Steve Marriott and Humble Pie with Glyn Johns at the controls. And, oh, wow. And you go, 
I think I've made it now. <laughs> I think I'm where I want to be. Yeah. Oh, no. Managed to escape from the country scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 I, I've got those. That's a lovely memory that remember having that realization yeah. in probably one of the best rooms that was ever recording studio in London. Just you know, working with Steve Marriott and people like that. Yeah. Amazing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Do you I really like the, uh, I've been listening, you were saying that you were playing rock uh, out like bands back then. There's a record that I found recently called Trapeze. Oh, yeah. And it's really, it, it's like. Oh, uh, that's an amazing record. That was even earlier, I think. That was about a record, yeah. It's a great record. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's it called might, Coast to Coast, was it? Coast to Coast, that's it, yeah. 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 Brilliant record. It's yeah. one of my favourite things that I've done. So I did loads of heavy rock stuff. Harmonized big guitar yeah. sounds that should yeah. like be like deep purple with yeah. the pedal still just going across it. Kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> I, I, I seem to do a lot of it, you know. That was I was encouraging it, and be people seem to like like the idea of having a pedal steel. All you got to do is stick it through a few effects boxes, and yeah. There you go, yeah. It's better than a guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you've worked with Roger yeah. Daltrey. Um, yes, yes, that first Roger Daltrey album. I mean, is there, have you ever look, look back at like some of these songs that get played over and over and over again that they're not classics and just think, holy shit, I'm on that? Like the Jerry yeah. Rafferty. I mean, Jerry Rafferty yeah. stuff gets played over here, all, Baker Street and right down the yeah. line. Classic rock staple. Not on Baker Street, but then that wasn't the single in the US, was it? It was right down the line. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which I, which I am on. Yeah, that's a good record. And um, do you know No Regrets, the uh, Walker Brothers? Yes, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. I'm on that. They just kept the pedal steel at the beginning and at the end. Oh, no. T Rex. T Rex, Zinc oh, yes. Alloy. I, I, oh, now that's a funny story. I want to hear that. <laughs> I don't even remember that session. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't even remember Mark Boland being there. I, yeah, I remember Tony Visconti being there. Oh my gosh! Not not Mark Boland. I, I can't can't guarantee that he was there. And if he was, he was probably asleep on the sofa. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was an overdub. I did loads. I did too many overdubs in around about seventy four, seventy five. I I didn't really play with a live band much. Although I did play with Andy Fell with a low, who I have to say was fantastic. Oh, no. right. What a great, what a great really? guy he was. Really? He's still is. Yes, still. <laughs> he's still. He's with us. And I worked with his band. Uh, was and there I played, a... played on Wide Eyed and Legless. Wide Eyed. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Was there a lot of stuff where it was like uh, 
you know, you kind of work with the producer and not the artist. I've kind of done stuff and it's like, and then people say, oh, you've, you've been on Dolly Parton's record. And Dolly Parton worked with Dolly Parton. I was like, no, I don't. What's she like? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met well, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens when, when you went into a studio and recorded with people. You know, not that I do that much, especially at the moment. You know, that's yeah. any sign of a small amount of that happening is long gone now yeah Yeah. real pity and you're in the town for it well i am enjoying uh it's nice to be at home overdubbing i do enjoy that and getting the i I do get annoyed with nashville being too it gets it a bit fast well the you know one thinks about tracking well has time to think about the track everyone wants to go quick 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 we'll do this we've got to do four songs in an hour or whatnot and everyone kind of becomes like a plug-in and it kind of, you know, it kind of, it kind of sucks the life out of music. I it's like a know. factory. Because that's how they've always done it, but the emphasis has changed. The emphasis yes. has changed. Yes. 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 So that's it's like it's like factory work. Yeah. yeah, but people always did records really quickly, like they did in London back in the fifties. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. They, they were the, the, the players in Nashville, the best players in Nashville are extremely good at coming up with immaculate stuff on the spur of the moment. Yeah, especially like Lloyd Green stuff. You hear some of his stuff and it's like, and then the amount of sessions he was doing a day. Yeah, yeah. But all of those guys, you know. Yeah. Emmons, yeah. all of them. Emmons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> well, that's, they're the people that we venerate, you know, I certainly do, you know. I'm yeah. In awe of those people and the skill they have to come up with the goods quickly. Yeah. As I think it's fantastic. In this in the session work that you've done and taking Elton John's uh Tiny Dancer out of the equation because I I'm sure you've you felt this when you when you were recording this. Have you ever been in a session and knew it was good but written you know knew hey this is going to be huge. This is going to be an enormous hit because you played on a lot of big hits. I don't tend to think like that. Okay. I don't tend to think, you know, this is a stone-cold certainty because right. there's no guarantee yeah. to do that anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask the flip side of that too, but I guess it's the same answer. Working with working with legends is different. You know, I worked with John Cale for a oh, long time wow. in the 90s. I toured with him. Didn't record much with him, but I toured with him in Europe and in, and in the States, and that okay. was fantastic. I did some very wacky, you know, things where I'd pitch myself. I was was there, you know, just wow. fantastic. Yeah. We did the, um, the um, what was it? Some concert Don Was was MDing in Memphis. Oh, wow. In the um, Pyramid Conference. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. Is now a fish, which is now a fishing shop. Is it? Is yeah. it really? So it's yeah. not a concert hall anymore. Oh, right. No, no. It's anyway, we played it there and they had, they, they had all sorts of bands in a three-day event to celebrate Elvis. You know, oh, cool. wow. So they they did their ver- – everybody did their version of um, an Elvis song, right? Oh, cool. Uh, and um, – and they had Jerry Lee. This was seven. This was in '95. So Je- you know, Jerry Lee was there. Carl Perkins was there. Everybody was there, basically. And Don was, who was a big fan of John Cale, uh, realised he'd done a version of um, Heartbreak Hotel. 
Have you heard John Cowell's version of Heartbreak Hotel? I've heard that. I don't yeah. know if I have. <laughs> Can you imagine what it was like playing <laughs> a bunch of southern rockers? Yeah, that's funny. It's John Cowell. John's version of Heartbreak Hotel. Can you imagine? It's almost like an art piece. It's it like, is. Uh, really? It's in a marquee, and it suits the lyric. <laughs> It suits yeah. much better than you know the the official one. Wow! So it's a it's a minor, yeah. It's like a minor. Yeah, yeah. That's right. With a funny old recording as well. Yeah. Anyway, we you know we were asked to play a set there featuring this this John version of Heartbreak Hotel, and and John he was on the side of the stage going, "This is going to set the cat amongst the people." <laughs> <laughs> so we played it, and there was this sort of Stunned silence. <laughs> sort of edged off stage quickly. <laughs> what do I always say? And the crowd go mild. So. Yes. <laughs> it was very funny. But that's no, brilliant. Also slightly scary. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I love that version of it. I think that's Yeah, great. well, exactly. Yeah, but to play it to a bunch of, you know, Elvis fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That do, was very fun. Do many of the those... string quartet as well, you know. Really, oh wow! Really Avant-garde string quartet scraping and squeaking and <laughs> making funny noises. <laughs> From New York. You know. Oh man! Yeah. Do many of the session work uh, sessions become touring opportunities later on? Not that many. Okay. Working with Sting, I did. Right, I saw and the Verve. Yeah, yeah. and I, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because they're one of my favorite bands of all time, and all right. and I know they they you know imp- implemented pedal steel on uh, on Urban Hymns, and I just kind of want to know how there's how no pedal steel on Urban Hymns. There's not. Oh, oh sorry. Um, uh, no, there isn't. Oh my god. Okay, so there must be just slide guitar on on like Velvet Morning and yes. Oh yeah. wow. Nick, the guitarist, wow. um, was a, a school friend of Richard Ashcroft, and they fell out in a huge way. Yeah, with many uh, times. <laughs> and um, uh, for some, I, I never quite fully understood why they asked me to um, play <laughs> seal with the Verve. You know, it's not the most obvious thing right. to have a pedal seal. <laughs> oh, it's Oh really? I wasn't really totally. I knew their name, but I wasn't totally aware of the. You know, when I, I what I'd heard, I liked, but I wasn't. It wasn't something that I naturally would have thought. Wow, that's a you know, that's something. So what? What period of time was was this? Was this after? Was this the Urban Hymns version? Was this fourth? Which which album? Tour? Well, it was after. That. It was. It was. They hadn't done a, a U.S. tour. Okay. At all. Up until that point, wow! And we did the US tour, you know, after Nick had left. Yeah. Oh man. We got in to do the US tour, and it was 
money no object it was that they were throwing everything at it god fantastic it was one of my more extreme you can stand up i'm leaning this on my one of my wife's pottery so like my oh, okay. oh i see it's a makeshift so i'm like every time i, I have a proper little point. tripod for your yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm living on the edge a little bit. Though. Okay. Yes. Nice, nice place. I look forward to coming to visit. Visit it. I still, I've still got that Pete Drake record in the vinyl behind. Me. Ah. <laughs> uh oh. Of course. No, I'm. I, I my my estimation and uh, admiration for Pete Drake keeps growing the more I find out about him. Actually. Amazing. I do too, yeah. Mine too, yeah. He seems to have been a, a bit of a wheeler and dealer in Nashville and in a good way. You know, because yeah. he had the studio, didn't he? And he did lots of good stuff. Yeah, and he kind of is like, I, I, well, I, think, I don't know if he's underappreciated, but he kind of, you know, he's... He yeah, especially in the steel community, because he was like, his phrasing is so, like, beautiful and, like, you know, and it's kind of, it's hard to manipulate, I think, his some of his phrasing. It's and it's like, and there was this. The, there's the saying of what was the? There's a Pete Drake story where Buddy Emmons and him were in the same room, yeah. and Buddy Emmons like had his C six neck and was just like, "Hey Pete, can you do this?" And went, bit 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 and done all this Buddy Emmons stuff. And Pete was such like you know not that kind of player. No. But was a well known producer and then. Took out a roll of a hundred dollar bills and said, uh, yeah. "You sound like this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I don't, I, you know, things. Some of the things Buddy said about him, you know, are, are partly why he's underrespected. I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. a great pity because it's it was unnecessary. Unfortunately, Buddy had a, a rather dry sense of humour, and uh, yeah, he, was, he was a little yeah. salty, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> generally, yeah, it's quite uh, to, to get sometimes. You know, he yeah. has that dry southern sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, one of the one of the things that I like to find out is everybody hears about great great tours and all, but I kind of like to hear when everything kind of hits the fan and. Uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you a great example. I had Trey Gunn on quite a while ago and he was yeah. doing a solo show and he's he's got a pedal board set up where he'll play a piece and record it and it'll just keep looping and he'll just keep building a song piece by piece. Yeah. And he had one occasion where he was playing and it, he started to build the song up. I think it was a song Arrakis off one of his early solo albums. And as he's playing it, it's sounding perfect in his, his earpiece, but none of it's getting out to the audience. It, it's, there's, and so he's sitting there playing like a 20 second piece and then stops playing and the audience just sees him not doing anything. And then he'll come in and play another 10 seconds and then stop playing. And so the audience is just hearing what he's doing live. They're not hearing any of the loops and he had no idea what was going on. Right. So was he monitoring how he thought it was sounding? Yes. In his headphones? Right. Yes. But it, it wasn't being, it wasn't getting out into the PA. No. And, and, and he, had, he had two, he was playing with yeah. two other guys and this was his solo piece for the show. And they're just sitting out on the stage going, either something's wrong or he's just playing on a whole nother level at this point, but they didn't know which, which one it was. Yeah. What's the, have you guys had any, both of you, have you ever had any like complete disasters on stage? 
I'll have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd, one, one of them was I did the Montreux Festival with Sting and I suddenly realised at the last moment that I'd forgotten my bar. <laughs> I've done that a few times. <laughs> really? What do you do yeah. in that case? I, I, I run around and look for a bit of metal. Oh. Anything. <laughs> I've used an SM57. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Microphone. Yeah. Wow. yeah Sound yeah. bloody horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, of course God. it would do because it's not what you want it to be, is it? No, yeah. Yeah. I, I think after that, I always like had would carry bars. I'd put yes. bars in the back of amplifiers or yes. in random spots. Yes. You know, just the exactly. All right, yeah. so, so speaking of playing live, is the pedal steel kind of a pain in the ass to tour with? Because it seems to be very cumbersome and you've got, is it, a, is it hard to set up and break down and take on tour with you? Uh, depends on what level you're touring, really. Um, you know, I, I don't tend to do big tours like I'm sure you've done, Spencer, yeah. last couple of years. I don't, yeah. I don't tour for months. At all, I don't. I'm not really a, a, a touring player in that sense. You know, there is no real world for a touring pedal steel player much in outside the US. I think it's diminishing in in, in America as well. I, the more country yeah. stuff I tour with, the less steel playing I see because really? country music is yeah, it's it's turning. I mean, like now it's kind of you get pedal steel is kind of used there's so many backing tracks now with live country music uh-huh. that if they use pedal steel like you know there's like country music with like pop hip hop sound which yeah. isn't my cup of tea neither and then they'll put the pedal steel in the bridge and that'll be, it'll just be on that and then they'll they'll just play it on the backing track so they'll, they'll just hit it with a trigger yeah, it'll and be then... very simple sort of mashing the, the pedal sort of figure as well usually oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. a few of those sort of country sort of rap records that I... yeah and it'll, it'll just and they'll just and they'll just, it'll, it'll, it'll just yeah. well they'll put it on the, the bridge and they'll be like oh because that's on the bridge now it can go into the country music charts you know yeah, sort of. exactly I've heard a few of that. I'm not, I quite like some of that stuff you know but it's, uh, some of it's hard, it's hard to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's what makes a pop record yeah. I guess so yeah some of it's a little uh, you know derivative of like you know pickup truck you know beers you know kind of like uh, you know so but uh and and the more I tour in that, the less pedal steel players I see like out on tour on big on big country circuit sort of stuff. So yes. Oh man, that's a shame. I see it more in Americana sort of bands, you know, like, yes. which I'm sure you play with when they come over to Europe. You know, that's like you know, or like I don't do what you were doing that. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I see I see more Americana sort of bands yeah. use pedal steel. I, so I'm sure of the man who they call on to. Use pedal steel in a different context. Yeah, out of the the box. And you've been doing that for a while. You've done a lot of. I've been I've I've been drawing it to me. That's what I always love doing. You know, I find myself taking the pedal steel into other places. You know, when I did, um, I did an album called Transparent Music back in eighty nine ninety on was on Ryko Disc.
people started hearing it, you know, I was doing a bit of music journalism as well. So I was like spreading the word about the fact I'd done Sarsi and Debussy and yeah. things like that, the classical stuff and the and ambient stuff, because I just thought it was the pedal steel was so perfect for it in the, oh, yeah. when I was doing that in the 80s. Um, uh, and then producers who happened to like the pedal steel but would never be working in the area of went, oh, that's interesting, you know. And I started to get bookings from, you know, and connections with Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois. I know Dan plays steel and guitar as well. I mean, he's another example of where it can go, you know. Yeah. But I, I found, and then I got the connection with John Cale, which came through Joe Boyd and Brian Eno, and they all introduced me to Cale, and I There's a wild dog next to me. <laughs> They're Brian Eno fans, so when you mentioned So it, it was... Uh, a feedback situation, you know, because I expressed my preference to take the pedal steel much in a much broader way. I started to pick up the fact that a lot of these producers and artists that just liked were into Sonics in a broader sense were big fans of the pedal steel already. Ah, okay. So I I got my work in that area started to build. And you've done some incredible stuff with, with Emily Burridge. I've been listening to that over the past couple of days, and the two of you together are just amazing. Playing, we've been playing together for about 15 years and it takes that long for it to be that tight. I'm sure, yeah. It's hard to do. Yeah. You know, there's no fronts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no frets. You've got, to, you've got to pitch and articulate perfectly to make it work. And it takes a long time to get that together, you know. We've got a good repertoire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not doing so much at the moment because obviously we're locked down and she lives in another part of the country. But, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be getting to doing more of that. I did hear something really weird uh, yesterday, in fact, as I was listening to some, to some music. Uh, you did a piece with uh, Pulomi on prepared sitar. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That was insane. I was so fascinated by that thing. I, I've never heard an experimental piece with pedal steel like that. It's, it, was that all improvised, or did you guys work that out a little bit early, ahead of time? It was free, free form improvisation. Wow. And she she treated this sitar and filled it full of electronics. Oh, that's cool. This Indian girl. It's crazy. You know, and with all the resonant strings and everything and full of electronics, effects, going through effects. And, and we played, did a gig at the, a gig at the Cafe Otto. In, yes. Uh, which is the gig for free improv. Yeah, I was I was listening to it while I was at work. It's amazing. It is. It's incredible. It, but I'm yeah. you know I'm not really watching the video. I'm doing my job while I'm listening. And at like the 
eight and a half minute mark, this the sitar started to sound like a donkey or something. So I kind of I had to like make sure I was still watching the same video. I was like, what the hell is going on? But it was, yeah. and then. Yeah. And, and then, well, so I go back to my... It's a great experimental instrument, you know. It's a great experimental instrument. I mean, David Toop, you know David Toop? The, he, in fact, he, he introduced me to Luke Weiber, this guy David Toop. He wrote books about ambient music and stuff. Oh, wow. I, he, was a, he was a friend of mine. And um, he, he introduced me to Luke Weiber, and I ended up doing that album with Luke Weiber, which I recommend. It's one of the best things okay. I've done. That's a good record. Well, tell the, uh, the other weird thing about that video. Stop the panic. That's a, that's a great record. Yeah. Yeah. So the other weird thing about that video is that like the 19 minute mark or so, because it's, it's a good yeah. long piece. It looks like she takes out an angle grinder or something onto the, the, I don't know what she's doing. It's got something. She was a little out there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it was so fascinating to listen to. Just a gig, you know. <laughs> well, it was perfect for Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that um, um, Finnish player Oli Havisto was there at the time. Oh. Came up. Okay. Do you know Oli Havisto? I know. He plays with Eric Bibb. Oh, okay. I know. Nice Bibb. guy. Really good player. Nice. He plays lap steel and um, um, oh, all the all the different sort of series has. Have you guys ever recorded together? Well, me and Spencer. Yeah. No, uh, we haven't yet. Oh, no. man. Well, funny thing. There you go. Better get that. There you go. Yeah, I saw yeah. <laughs> I saw somewhere online that there's this really awesome pedal steel player who you can send an MP3 to, and he'll he'll edit it and he'll put his own parts on there. I think his name's BJ Cole. <laughs> you should... well, I've been doing it a while now. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. yeah, yeah. So you can do kind of like an online session. That's pretty cool. I've do, yeah. been doing online sessions for fifteen years. I just did a, an album for a band in Australia, actually. Oh, like really? Pretty much yeah, right. their record. The first time I've done one at that distance. Not that it makes any difference, you know, how far away it is. But that was quite interesting. The weird thing is that how different people's heads are, you know. Oh, I bet, you know, yeah. that, Culturally, you know, not not actually the, the reality of doing it. Yeah. It makes no difference, of course. Do either of you guys remember any weird session? Because especially you've, you've done session work. Do you, do you have any weird odd session things like like maybe somebody you didn't expect to to want a pedal steel calls you up and says hey come in and, and play something or just Probably. i can't think of anything at the moment well, that's, nah. okay that's a dumb question never mind we'll, we'll, we'll edit that out i was really enjoying the matt berry uh, record oh you like i was listening to oh, that yesterday really? too I, I was gonna mention that what it's a good record isn't it yes it's brilliant then i guess i'm gone i better live Ghostly sounds in my home. They're watching me when I'm alone. I have no fear. I know they're here. I know. 
I love him. He's, I mean, I know he's a comedian, but he's, yeah. his music is so good. Yeah, I mean, he can really take it serious. His music yeah. is serious. He's yeah. just like, completely. Is he, is he the guy that, that's on What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. that's. Yeah. I thought he looked familiar. He's fantastic. Like the Verve, I'd never really come across him when he called me. Well, the guys from Acid Jazz called because that's the label he's on. Okay. Uh, and um, they said, "Oh, we've got this session. You know, can you come down to the studio and, and work on this?" And then it became obvious because the lockdown was just about starting at that point. I, yeah. You know, we, we had to naturally do it online, which I was quite happy about. Anyway, yeah. he just yeah. sent me one track, one track at a time, just to see how it would go. He oh, called wow. it a country album. He said, "Can you, you know, can you come and play on this? I've made a country album, which is not. Which is <laughs> it's not, not a country record. No, no it's not a country. No. It's, I like that. It's not even." more country because I'm on it no exactly <laughs> I like the fact that he would think it's a country record but yeah. it's like it's, it's just a 60s pop record yeah 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 it's a, it's a sort of um yeah, I wouldn't like to describe it actually it's really yeah, it's, it. but he's yeah, really good and he really is yeah who writes well you know, and I'm, I'm, I was totally chuffed with what I did on it. It was just one of those things where he kept sticking them up and I kept on knocking them down. And <laughs> he was just saying, oh, this is taking this to a different level. You know, and I was just, wow, what a nice thing for somebody to say. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. I'm, I'm a, and the production on it is yeah. fantastic. It's like, well, that's, just, that's just him. He's just put it, it together. It really is, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, just it, put it together. it's not unusual to hear that about your playing because that's that's exactly what I thought when I first really started hearing you on, on Richard Ashcroft's solo album, which, like I said earlier, that's the first, my first time I really paid attention to to the pedal steel on, on a pop type of album and I had to had to find out who it was so you're yeah. playing just you're, you're playing on that album defines that album and that is one of my favorite albums of all time the Richard Ashcroft album yeah Alone With Everybody it's yeah yeah that's a great record it, yeah. it, it's incredible and all the b-sides too like Country Thing City Thing Blues Thing you're playing on that is just I can't. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I, it's funny because I go back to that album all the time. I mean, that album is what almost twenty years old at this point, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, I constantly the 90s go back. Were very good for me, actually. The nineties were one of my, the seventies and the nineties were my, yeah, you know, the time the, when. I, it seems like the nineties. There's loads of lot of good bands, English bands coming out. Then it's yeah, like yeah. spiritualized. And, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You did. You work with spiritualized too. That's right. Oh, well, that that was why I ended up working with um, the Verve. Oh, Christian's oh, girlfriend. Yeah, was Jason's girlfriend, and it probably all came along the um, connections. Now, see, you know somebody like you know who's a bit different. We can use instead of a guitar player, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's your guy, Richard's <laughs> girlfriend. He said, "Oh, I know somebody." You know, it was like that. You know, I, had no, I, I had no idea at the time that that was the case. 
That and I worked awesome. on Sting's, um, the first album I worked on Sting's record, it was largely, well, we were saying about, you know, my experiments with uh, ambient music, reconnecting with, you know, with artists. And um, I'd done an album called um, Heart of the Moment, which was oh, one yes. of my favorite ambient records that I'd done in 95, uh, which I did myself. Um, and Sting apparently was doing yoga to it. Oh wow! That's great. <laughs> so he told me uh, he because it had been released on a, a label run by a guy from County Durham, which was you know, a local for him and his connection uh, Newcastle. Um, so you just never know where your next work is going to no, come from. That's right, and so that was why he liked people. He liked to have all the musicians working in his band who had their own thing going. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, like, when you are because I always, it's nice to get to a stage, I, I feel like I'm at, a, it's nice at a stage where I, I'm not a country still, but I don't think much, yeah. but it feels like, yeah, and, I, and I hate being called in for a pedal steel player, you know, it's, it's so much nicer to be called in to be like, I know what Spencer does and I'm using him because this is what, and I feel like at the beginning, right from the get-go of your career, you've been called in because you sound like BJ Cole. That's your sound. Yeah. Instead of like, I want you to sound like a pedal still. You know what I mean? Like this is the sound. So it's kind of like, it's a nice kind of. It's true. I, I can, if you start paying it's attention, true. you can very true. I mean, pick just BJ out. I never could cut it playing the traditional licks. I, I, I tried very hard to learn the licks, and I can play. I could play them, articulate them, but they never sounded right. Yeah, um, okay. I tried to do the Coley Chalker thing, and I tried to do the Buddy thing, the Jimmy Day thing, and I got wow, these these guys are just. I mean, so awe of these people. I can't do that. So it turned out that I was. I had. I had a an approach and a sound that was. A better in a more contemporary setting, which is lucky for me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think the Elton John record defined it. Yeah, have you come across that YouTube clip? Oh, it's just the it's, like the it's just the steel up in the mix, ain't it? Yes, no, yes. brilliant. Yeah, I will have to look <laughs> that up. It's the whole thing. Yeah, the whole part oh, which wow. they recorded, you know, from, from beginning to end. And just faded it out and brought the strings in or brought the guitar in. And yeah, oh, just, I was playing all the way through it. That's which, great. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to look for that. I hear it in the background, you know, yeah. so so you can actually hear what I was trying to do. You know, yeah. yeah. Time. This is amazing. This <laughs> <laughs> after all these years, you know, to, to come across that. Well, yeah, I love that. I've, I was listening to that recently. I, was like, oh, oh. I didn't realize yeah, it existed. I've, I've got a split. Guys, yeah, we'll but. we'll wrap it up here. Um, okay, be, thank you guys so much, both of you, for joining me. This has been a blast. Um, yes, I'm very proud to have been been on your show and performance performance anxiety.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 